and welcome to the Women's Soccer Coaching Podcast. This is where we take a deep dive into the challenges and opportunities faced by those who coach in the women's game. I'm Steph Fairburn and I'll introduce our special guest in just a moment. This podcast accompanies the January issue of Women's Soccer Coaching Magazine, which is available to subscribers right now. As well as the usual session plans and practices to inspire you, Jackie Bushell of the FA and the University Campus of Football Business shares her top tips for developing young coaches. Naomi Myhill takes a detailed look at the physicality gap between the FA Women's Super League, the second tier and beyond. And West Ham United's Jenny Coe shares insight into her role as the club's head of performance and well-being. Elsewhere, Coach Development Officer Jodie Whitford-Stark provides some great advice for how to spice up your rondos. Rondos are something that the interviewee of our main feature and our podcast guest also speaks about. Kat Kosroyar is a former Iran national player, the first Iranian-American to achieve the prestigious FIFA A licence, the former coach of the under-19 Iran national team and of the under-19 team at the Orlando Rain Academy. A fierce advocate for the progression of women's football across the globe, Kat now sits on the board of the Women's Equality in Soccer Foundation and is studying for her second Masters, this time in global affairs. I caught up with Kat to talk about the footballing differences between Iran and the US, what she was like as a coach, and the obligation we all have as coaches to give back. Kat, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you on the Women's Soccer Coaching Podcast. I want to start with a question about you and your earlier years. And I know your family really encouraged you to play sport and make a go of soccer when you were growing up. How important... We can call it football. We can call it football. <laughs> football, soccer, whatever we want to go with. I have a hard time remembering soccer. <laughs> okay, football. That's easy for me as well. Thank you. Um, how important do you think the encouragement and support that you got from your family was for setting you up with foundations in life? Well, if it wasn't for um, my father introducing me to the game, I don't think I would have ever really known about it. Whether they were going to be supportive or not, I think the first time I touched the ball, it was, you know, love at first sight, and I did not want to ever stop. But they did definitely hone in on me how important it is to be playing a sport, but in my case, it was football. And they made sure that they gave me all the tools, which was support, um, playing with me after school hours, playing with me on the weekends, coming to my games on the weekends. Like my sisters, they have to be at every match of mine. And, you know, they would all be you know yelling my name, cheering me on. And if I made a mistake, they would be the first ones to say, it's okay, just, you know, get back up and, you know, continue. But family, I think, is or having that support system, I believe it, it was very crucial in my development as a player. And it also gave me the confidence and tools that I needed to be able to, you know, go with the ebbs and flows of um, the team, the coach, uh, and, you know, all the extras that were outside. I think, you know, it's an unfortunate fact that for a lot of girls and women playing across the world, and this will happen in very varying degrees, they don't always have the support of their families. You know, I even like, I coach in the UK where we're obviously really privileged with the um, girls football setup we've got. And I have a girl told me a couple of months ago, my mom said, football's not a career. I can play it for fun, but I need to think of something else to do with my life. So what role do you think coaches have in, in showing their players 
the possibilities for them beyond some of the limitations that their parents or their guardians or the adults in their lives might set them? You know, ultimately, playing football, it's about having fun and having a safe place. Uh, whether, you know, like we are on the Western side of the world, so we are very privileged. Football can become a profession where you can actually get money. But for the women's side, we're not there yet as far as being able to be completely independent by just playing football. But um, realistically speaking, it's a place where you are going to learn so much about uh, life. You're going to be learning how to take good care of yourself. You're going to be learning how to work with others. You're going to be learning how to, you know, come out of conflict with your teammates or your coach or whatever it may be, um, you know, dealing with outside pressure. And at the end of the day, it's about having fun, having that place that you can, you know, call home. Like whenever I would be on a pitch, I felt my most comfortable there. Um, and I think coaches need to definitely garner in the fact that these kids are coming there to relax, to have a good time, to enjoy themselves, to be able to play, practice, make a mistake without, you know, um, you know, getting harassed at the end. But it's, it's a place where you can grow so much and, uh, you know, use your talents and find your talents, actually. And I think, you know, coaches ultimately need to remember that if you are coaching in like, for example, the kids, that this is a place for fun. This is a place for enjoying yourself as a place uh, to, to relax. And it's a safe place. I think coaches definitely need to remember that at each session, that that's why those kids are coming, that they want to, you know, come there, enjoy and be with their friends and, you know, learn. And obviously so much of your work has been pushing boundaries and helping to create opportunities for females in the game. Can you talk us through from a, I was going to say soccer, from a football perspective, um, what it was like when you initially moved to Iran and, and how you've seen female soccer progress there over the years? I mean, when I first moved, there was absolutely no football, women's football. And uh, for me to witness the progression from the nascent ages of, you know, women's football developing all the way towards, you know, the Asian championships, I think uh, it's it's a privilege to be able to watch that as like a time lapse happening in 15 years. Uh, but when I first moved there, I noticed immediately how football crazy these people are and uh um, you know how there's like the Arsenal versus Chelsea in the UK. Well, there it's like the same color teams, but, you know, different names, obviously. But it's as insane. Um, you know, the, the country honestly goes on lockdown and everybody stays home and watches the game. And whether you're at the office or not, you know, you have to watch this game. Your life depends on it. But uh, what, I, what I witnessed immediately was that people are, you know, fanatics about their football and uh, that was actually for me the key to be able to you know stay and be in a country that you know appreciates football they might not appreciate yet women's football but they definitely appreciate the bigger picture which is um, they want their team to advance and you know us we are carrying the you know the, the Iranian flag pretty far high up and you know, whether it was going to take a year or not they're definitely going to support their women's team and I think uh, you know just ultimately speaking, being there and helping women start women's football, that was, um, you know, that was something that I never thought I would ever do in my life. I was a 17-year-old uh, who, who knew that I would be, you know, leading something as intense like this. And uh, but I, I appreciate every moment. I learned so much along the way. There was um, obviously a whole religious and ideological difference. Um, 
ultimately speaking, I think being there and witnessing the type of change for women's football in a country like Iran, it has been a, um, it's been breathtaking, honestly, because I never knew I would have the key or the tools to, or the support to do such a thing, something that drastic and something that big. And, uh, and that was only possible because people really love football there. Do you think the progress you've seen over the years is an example of how we can make progress in women's sport across the globe? The case study of Iran is going to be very different uh, for other countries around the world. I definitely want to use the blueprint for that. But what what ultimately was able to what I was able to see progressionally was more interest of women wanting to join the game Um, because we did have futsal and they were Asian champion back to back Asian champions. And that also helped you know, bring in a lot of support. But because the football uh, foundation was not built yet, it was very difficult to get them to jump ship from futsal to football. Ultimately, we do now have a lot of players that are interested. We do have you know, the league structure. We have second division. We have so many academies you know, popping up like mushrooms throughout the entire country. And this you know, ultimately is showing that there is a, a huge interest and whether they whether the, the rules and regulations will help advance it's already there because the people's interests are there the women's interests are there they are you know there's so many coach education um, uh, license programs happening there's so many um, management for academy programs happening and I'm here on the other side of the world and I'm continually giving them um, you know inst- lessons I'm doing courses for them of uh, from the management side and also from the technical and tactical side so I do see a huge interest from women and uh, literally my phone every day I get more than 200 messages from women to uh, they're asking me what can we do we want to start playing we want to start you know our academy how can we get it going but the interest is there the progression will happen whether we want it or whether the, the laws are there or not it's just a matter of you know building that platform for them and that's what I aim to do and for those of us that coach I guess in in regions and areas where it's maybe more accepted or we're further along the line of progression do you think it's important that you know we realize that that's not the case everywhere and stay connected to the cause of fighting for opportunities for for female football across the world you know there are several NGOs and there are several um, uh, groups that are advocating on behalf of uh, women in developing countries and I'm not saying like economically developed I'm talking about like football development uh, there's there's always a great way to connect with uh, women worldwide and you know fortunately for social media platforms I think that has definitely uh, contributed heavily towards the connection but it's a matter of you know if you if there are ways to connect if there are ways that you can give an hour of your time to talk about you know your experience or your um, training sessions. I always think that has been very beneficial. Um, the foundation that I'm working with right now in the U.S. We are working with coaches in India and Sri Lanka and in Cambodia. Though we don't speak the same language, uh, you know, there, there's quick ways of being able to translate information quickly. And we give them like our, our sessions. We tell them about you know a, a periodization of a year of what it should look like, and we try to adapt it within their level. And I've seen that has been very helpful for them as well. And it's very, they, are, they understand it very well too. So, you know, football is a global universal language. And I think that if we are able to connect from, you know, east, west to east, it will, be, uh, it will have a huge impact. So we can raise the level of football. I mean, wh- what was it? It was um, about a month ago where Latvia versus England were playing. It was 20-0. 
like that. I mean, I'm I, I'm not I'm not upset about you know England scoring twenty goals. I'm more upset that what did Latvia do to prepare to play against such a tough team? And uh, I think that's where we can uh, begin, you know, the whole connection side of with the coaches to be able to to help each other, to bring that level closer, and to actually be able to compete, because that's a, that's a really difficult loss. And I don't want the same thing. I don't want to see that again. <laughs> I want to see competition. I want to see, you know, the coaches, you know, really striving to have a better uh, program for their players. And to be able to, you know, give them access to all the modern tools and modern training techniques, and I think that's, you know, where I, I'm I'm focusing on right now to to be able to close that gap between um, the the top countries with, you know, the, the the rest of the world. Do you think the leadership bodies have to step in as well and recognize that there are different levels and maybe make it more about competition? Definitely, definitely. Um, I'll never forget my first game as a head coach. I was given two weeks to um, go prepare, to go find a team, go find players, bring them in, train in two weeks. Some of them have never touched a football. They've never even left the country. And my first game was against the U.S. (laughs) So imagine, you know, under-17 national team of Iran playing against under-17 national team of the U.S. It's It's night and day. But... We, we did lose. We, we lost, I believe, 6-0 or 7-0, which is still acceptable because some of these players, my players have never even played football. They just, you know, had, I knew if I would work with them within um, six months to a year, I could definitely get some, I, I could definitely get what I wanted from them. But two weeks, definitely not enough time. So what I was able to do to close the gap as much as possible was psychologically work with them, give them the confidence. And I think the leadership, they knew that as well. They gave me, um, they gave me so many psychologists. They gave me so many, uh, what's it called, uh, assistant coaches, technical director, everything for that that match because I knew it was going to be difficult. But leadership obviously has a very huge role, and leadership has to be very open minded, and they they have to know who we're competing with. Like if if I'm not given access or tools from leadership, there's nothing that I am able to do. And my hands are, you know, t- tied behind my back at that point. And I think leadership does have a very crucial role in developing women's football in any country. Uh, it could be in, in Bhutan, it could be in Japan, it could be anywhere. So leadership does play a huge role. But coaches as well, they also have a huge role to connect with leadership and um, you know, ask for those tools. And that was something that I was really good at because I knew what I needed and I knew how I knew what. I had to ask them, whereas, you know, in some cultures, you're afraid to ask because you don't want to, um, you know, sound needy. But uh, I definitely knew what I needed and wanted. And I asked for it and I got it. And that was how I was able to be successful after, you know, nine to 11 months of training with the U19 national team. And talking more about you as a coach, how would you define your coaching style, your ethos, you know, what your sessions look like? Who are you as a, as a football coach? So um, because of my age difference, it wasn't that much with the players. I didn't want to come from a very uh, top down approach that, you know, I am your head coach and you know, I didn't want to be a dictator style. I was extremely, um, what's it called? I, I allowed them to be open with me. I allowed them to come talk. I, I wanted them to come talk to me about, uh, you know, whether it was issues or the, how they wanted help if they needed help and I just 
you know, they, they called me, uh, this is what they're like, they're like, she has a big smile on her face. She's super nice, but her training sessions killed us. But we were able to enjoy every moment of it because she, I would go with them. I would train with them. I would play with them. Um, you know, I would laugh with them. But at the same time, when I needed to, you know, tighten up the gears a little bit, I would do that as well. So with, with the Iran national team, my approach was because this is one of their very first times of having a very um, strong, connected foundation where the Federation is very supportive. I have a huge technical staff. I have, a, I have so many assistant coaches. Um, I, was, I learned my management skills. So I think that was one part of my success was that as a manager, or as a head coach, I had to learn how to manage the, the coaches and the players, and I had to do it separately and know when to connect the two together i i think my approach was also honest i had to be very very honest with them and i had to tell them exactly what it was like to be playing against these top teams in the world but at the same time i was continually working on them psychologically to uh you know find find that inner strength to be able to play against top teams in the world and that is why i was able to be successful with the national team of iran um, my training sessions, they were, uh, they were mentally, you know, very tough, but they, the girls enjoyed it because I was teaching them the basics of football. Um, you know, where, where it wasn't just about, oh, let's kick the ball, you know, get it and turn and pass. It was very fundamentally, um, uh, I, I was teaching them how to play, how to play against the top teams. And I know I didn't have time, but I had to definitely find a method to be able to give them access to how to play against these tough teams and give them options. Um, I never was the type of coach that was like, this is exactly what you're going to do in this situation. I gave them options of what to do in that certain situation. So if you are being uh, blocked by two players, what is it that you have to do? Where is it that you have to look? Where do your teammates have to start uh, moving uh, for them to find you or for you to find them? And you know how and how many different ways uh, can you build up from the back? And if the ball is in the attacking third, you know how are you guys going to be moving in and supporting each other? And if you are one zero, I gave them so many variances that they were prepared for almost everything. And um, you know we're women; we love our options, right? So <laughs> that was something that I really wanted to work on. And um, but you know I was very transparent with them. We would definitely review so many videos. I give them homework. And they knew if they didn't give me um, their answers on the homework that they would be punished. And by punished, I mean doing something really embarrassing, like singing in the middle of the field, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite songs. But, uh, you know, they, they knew they had to pick it up a lot with me. And uh, I'm so fortunate that I was able to coach such talented young ladies. But my coaching style in the U.S. was very different from my coaching style in Iran. In the U.S., the girls had a very strong foundation in playing football. They knew exactly, um, uh, they, they knew the terminology very well. They knew uh, the, the numbering system. They knew the different like formations. And for me, it was a matter of just saying, okay, we're going to do this play, this play, this play. And when we're in this situation, this is how we're going to attack or this is how we're going to you know, counterattack. So they knew exactly um, what to do. And for me as a coach, I just had to position them and mentally prepare them before every match. So the U.S. totally different approach. What song did you make them sing? I'm interested now. Oh, so I I, I love I love rap. Okay. <laughs> so I had a selection of rap, and usually before um, games, we put some good rap music on, 
And uh, Dizzy Rascal, by the way, was one of my favorite like pump up songs. And um, no, but they, I mean, or, or they would sing their own Iranian music, which is pretty fun as well. So overall, they, I gave them an option. I gave them some selection that they had to practice and choose and you know sing for us. Four options consistent. <laughs> I guess going back to the the differences between Iran and, and the US, what were some of the different challenges that you faced with oh, those two okay. teams? <laughs> so in Iran, you are being watched by 80 million people, and uh, but fortunately, there were 80 million supportive people. I would. Uh, because the videos were being recorded and only shown on social media, I, w- I would actually get a lot of people um, you know, tell- advising me on social media, oh, you should have played this way, that way. But overall, really good effort. Um, and you know, just it, I think with 80 million eyes on you, it's, uh, it's a little bit more challenging. And uh, I just did my best to keep everybody happy and uh, be very professional. But in the U.S., I was doing, I was coaching O.L. Rain, the so the NWSL team, but their academy, the, the under 19 girls. So they were just heading off to college and they were trying to get recruited to buy colleges. I had challenges with the parents because these, there's a term called helicopter parents where the parents are like literally on the field, um, t- screaming at their daughter, screaming at me, screaming at the ref. And it's just a really bad uh, relationship. <laughs> and it's created because they, they everyone's, Everyone believes that their daughter's the best. Everyone believes that their daughter's number one, and they won't let the coaches, you know, make the decisions for what's best for the team. So there, you have to think what's best for them individually rather than the team. And that was very difficult for me to to comprehend. But um, I had so many discussions with parents and players that you know, this is not healthy at all. And please just stop talking during the games and stop talking. Uh, to our daughters doing training because I can imagine I had one player who was playing beautifully in a position that I believe that she should have been in but her parents were like no she has to be in, the, in this position and but she wasn't able to to play as well so it's um it's, it was a very difficult approach but um, I think with a lot of uh, consulting and a lot of guiding uh, the player can make up their own minds and stand up for themselves but uh, overall, I think that the system in the U.S., it is the way it is because these players are just so physically you know, active. They're always, right after school, they go to a, a hard training session, whether it be for um, agility, endurance, or conditioning, and then they come to soccer, football practice. So these girls, are, they're just a whole different breed of uh, energy. And, uh, but in Iran, it's like, these girls are just trying to learn how to go to the gym and like learn the equipment and, you know, dif- uh, understand the differences between like uh, coordination, agility, endurance training. But in the U.S., it's like that's what they do 24-7. They only think and like they bulk up. They, it's all about, you know, the, the mass of their muscles rather than, you know, the lean, lean muscles. And, uh, you know, I think they have a huge step forward compared to the rest of the world because of their ability to to have that type of energy and that schedule because I, I, I remember when I was in the U S playing, that was the lifestyle that I lived as well, but um, you don't have to do it like that because uh, Vera Powell, who was one of my instructors from Holland, who's now the uh, Ireland head coach. You know, she said, you don't have to go to the gym. You could, you can literally do whatever you're doing at a gym and footballize it, bring everything on the field. Cause that is what you are trying to teach them. So do you think there's almost a balance between 
the two I guess if, if you were to have your preferred way of players training and playing and you were to have your preferred coaching style what would that team and what would their attitudes and approach look like I mean I I definitely did use the gym but it wasn't I, I use a lot of functional training for my players and uh, using exactly the muscles that would be used playing football uh, I also did a lot of yoga <laughs> a lot of pilates um, a lot of stretching classes and uh, a lot of swimming, but I tried my best to bring everything back on the field. And uh, with, and I wasn't using so much of my time off the field because I had a huge task of teaching these women football and I couldn't do that in a gym. So I was only doing the other parts of it. So, you know, for, for fun and for uh, just to kind of show them and introduce them to these different um, sports that can be very helpful for them in the future by playing football but because of my time crunch I was you know continually on the field teaching them um you know teaching them the game and uh but if my balance would definitely be it like for example when I'm in the U.S. uh I would definitely have you know gym Pilates yoga training training and game rest and like that's kind of how my cycle was with them so I had a really good uh periodization with them and uh, I was on target as far as and consistent I didn't have any injuries Literally, I had no injuries, knock on wood. And uh, I think my method with like the warm ups and cool downs, which I think a lot of coaches forget, they were always there. And uh, you know, everything in between, I had to, it was all calculated. So each day I had different uh, percentage of pressure, different load on them. And that was because uh, you, as a coach, you're seeing everything. You're like, okay, well, this player yesterday worked at 100%. So today I'm going to have her work maybe, you know, 50 to 60%. And she won't get injured, and that's just how it is. You got to calculate it that way. You got to be able to see uh, from their performance uh, whether it's in training or game, if whether that load was enough or not enough. Uh, so for me, it was a lot of calculations, and I love math. <laughs> I know you like rondos as well for for player development. Oh, how yeah. can you go about adapting rondos for different outcomes and scenarios? I mean, rondos for me was a lifesaver, especially with the Iran national team. Uh, it was the best way to kind of put them under pressure, put them in real game uh, situations and to be able to come, come out successfully, whether defending or whether attacking. Rondos, you can adapt it on any part of the field. I remember that with the Iran national team, we had a really difficult time coming out from the back third on the, near the, si near the sidelines, trying to come out of that situation. So we, we did that both left and right side. And uh, I would start with, you know, as minimal players and then kind of growing it and showing each player what the responsibility was on the field. Uh, and you can adapt it from the defending side and also from the attacking side. And you can also get your goalkeepers involved because your goalkeeper coach will teach them exactly where to be at every instance and to give them options. Like I said, uh, Rondos, I think it, it develops the player's ability to mentally think for themselves and also able to be more cohesive with their uh, teammates um, so if, you know, you're going to be moving forward to, you know, press the ball, where is your, where your supporting player is going to be? And then where are the supporting players behind the supporting player is going to be? And once you win the ball back, where are you going to move, where are you going to be to move forward, to get out of that situation? And you can also adapt it on the contrary, where are you going to be to attack it? So I think Rondos were, were very beneficial. And I think, uh, no matter what people do, um, or whatever trainings are out there, it's always going to come back to Rondos. 
And do you think it's one of those activities that really ticks the social, physical, psychological, ta tactical, technical, all those boxes are involved in, in a simple rondo? All of it, all of it, all of it, because you are going to be under pressure. You have to think, um, not just, uh, you know, you're thinking for, okay, what do I do to, you know, pressure the ball but also if you're not the one who's pressuring the ball what are you going to do to 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 cut it to to cut, stop that play uh, as a supporting player you know i think uh, players eventually will develop and uh, comprehend the game much better in that sense because it is it, you're under pressure you you have to think for yourself you have to think you know what are you going to do the second you get the ball um you you're going to have to have your body position in a certain way because it's all about body position ultimately and um whether you because if you're you know for example just like standing you stick straight it's so easy to pass you so how are you going to stand uh, in front of the ball or the supporting player behind the ball how are you going to do that and i think that was something that was very challenging for me to teach the the girls because they didn't have experience playing football but ultimately it became the um became the key to their success because we did do so many rondos. I think it was all about that. And I would show them the videos of other teams doing it. And so they would at least have a visual conception of what they had to do. And the mental side, I think, was uh, was a key here that you pointed out that, uh, you know, the players have to constantly think shift. And, uh, you know, if, if this doesn't go well, what do they have to do again to, you know, come up with a solution? So it's just a if within a second you have already five different um you know ideas going through your head but what is it what ultimately what is it going to do what are you going to think that's going to make the best outcome and uh you know, as a coach you have to give your players that um that guidance that support and ideas and how much would you talk to the players about this would translate into the game in this way this scenario replicates this in a game would oh, there be oh it's all about that and as women we're very visual people uh, creatures not people I think uh, in any instance I would try to show them like uh, so typically before training uh, I would show them the videos of where the problem areas were um, and they were able to relate it quickly back to those videos and uh, for me to be able to explain to them on the field like this is exactly the same situation that we got stuck in on that game, they all remember it immediately because it was such a frustrating situation. And they watched the videos a hundred times and they would get frustrated a hundred times. So they were really working on getting out of that situation and being able to come out successfully. Uh, but yeah, I think as, as, as women, we, we have to be able to see it, to, to, to really, really understand it. And I think video, um, video analysis and then bringing that exact situation onto the field was super helpful because they would all be like oh yeah we, we did this happen to us in a game versus slovenia yeah we didn't like that so we have to like change it up a little bit and this is how we're going to come out of it and then you would see the girls um so something very similar happened uh, it was against our game uh, in russia one year the following year we had another game with russia we were stuck in the same position and uh, we came out of it and the girls were all like super happy and the Russians were so confused by what happened. They're like, we worked on this for five training sessions <laughs> and we were successful. And uh, they'll, they'll remember it. They'll remember it because they know how hard they worked on those uh, problem areas. I suppose as well, that's about finding success, not just in scoring goals and winning games. That's in overcoming all sorts of challenges in the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
So I guess talking about that, what is your proudest or your favorite moment on a football field? I mean, I, I'm blessed to have, have many um, as a player, or as a coach. <laughs> I'll give you one of each. Uh, as a player, I believe it was whenever we, uh, we beat India for, we needed four goals to beat India to make it to the Asian, um, Asian uh, championships. And we scored exactly four goals and we scored in the very last five seconds to do that. And I remember I was the one that assisted the ball uh, before the goal went in. So that was my proudest moment. Uh, as a coach, it was whenever we tied Vietnam. Uh, Vietnam, by the way, super small but mighty team, very strong, super organized, and they're very difficult to to beat. But when we tied, because we Iranian national team always has beat has been losing to them like five zero six zero, and I it's just it's a very complicated mess that way that game. But with my team, whenever I was coaching, we tied them one one, and that just showed how much of an impact and how much of a change we were able to have on these, uh, on these, you know, on these players. That for me was the proudest moment. I know we didn't win, but we definitely were able to close that gap with a very strong Asian team. And then, um, you know, another proud moment was when we went to Europe after two weeks of training the national team, uh, just the beginning, we were able to, uh, win I think against Slovenia which is a European team they had the Nike sponsor you know everything was perfect and you know we're there with uh, you know obviously Iranians don't have uh, you know Nike or Adidas sponsors due to the political stuff but um, we played so beautifully that game that afterwards the coach came to me and was like I I would never have imagined you guys can play like this so that was you know to have a coach uh, from that caliber, mentioned something like that for me was always is nice to hear. So it shows that I'm doing something right. Okay, that was three, but I'll allow it. Thank uh, you. I had to. <laughs> <laughs> I could have kept going if you wanted me to. <laughs> I wanted to ask a question about your career because obviously you know you you're a coach, but also you have a master's degree in chemical engineering. I know you're currently doing another master's degree in in global affairs. How important do you think it is for girls and women to understand they can be more than just one thing? The world uh, at this point is moving so rapidly. You have, honestly, you can do whatever you want. Um, I, I chose to do chemical engineering because I knew that, uh, you know, A, you would be making a good amount of um, salary. And then for me, the the option of doing that was so whatever salary I would make, I would put it towards women football. Uh, a lot of my foundations, a lot of my projects, you know, I was just, you know, throwing money at it because I felt like it was really important for me that has access to something like that, that does have the ability to do that. I need to be able to give back immediately. And, you know, my family is in the oil and gas business. So I, I they always told me, you know, to kind of, as as important football was to me, to also continue my education and to not just stop at um, any level, go as far as you can, uh, whether it's educationally or on the sports world. And I, I try to be a big advocate. I'm like, if you feel like you want to study and you want to also you know, do something that's of your interest, do it. You can definitely manage it. Um, we as women are able to manage so many different you know, areas of our life and you know, work, family, all of everything we can do it and uh doing my second master's now because i felt like i needed to put in all my skills abilities experience under one umbrella 
And my, my goal is to you know, be a bigger advocate for women's global game. And I want to find, you know, I, I want to start building these big projects, academies uh, within developing countries or with even in, you know, first world countries to, you know, just get the talent coming, find new fun projects to do for women and uh, just try to get them involved as much as possible. And not just at an academy level, but, you know, in various levels, I want to find, um, I, I, we started a foundation called Women's Equality in Sports Foundation, sorry, Women's Equality in Soccer Foundation. And, um, you know, I'm trying to give women access to whatever it is they need. Uh, for example, in Cambodia, uh, culturally, you know, being on your period is still a big taboo and they won't come out to training. So we were able to partner with a Canadian company that has um, a underwear brand that has built-in pads. And so the, you could, we could just give it to them and the girls wouldn't feel, you know, shy to, to, you know, not come out or if they don't have the access to pads or whatnot. So, you know, it's these mini projects that have a huge impact on, on these players. And I just want to, you know, want them to know that they can ask me for anything. And I want them to always go to training, get their games. And I want the coaches to know that they have me uh, to support them with their, their planning or their questions that they may have. And I just want that gap to close as fast as possible so we can see uh, the beautiful game being played from and my, you know, Iran versus US, but this time not losing 7-0, but, you know, having you know, a smaller gap with um, having good competition. That, for me, that's really important. And also to for, for women to know that they have someone that they can rely on because I've been there. I've been there and I totally understand what they're talking about. And I want them to know that they, they can rely on me. That example about periods is really interesting. We ran an issue on on the menstrual cycle in in football, um, and it's really something that we need to to push and and get more yeah. research on. <laughs> yeah. I, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Um. On you know all of that is a lot. So how Im- how important is it for you as well that you take care of yourself, you step back when you need to, so that you can kind of sustain what you're doing. It's extremely important. Um, like. I, I don't like to to burn out because burning to come out from burning out takes a long long time. Um, I I've learned to know my limits, and I know when to kind of step back and start taking better care of myself and just turning off everything, because um, I I've noticed that before I was actually uh, rel- not I was not uh, aware of my my body telling me stop. And it really emotionally and mentally broke me down. And I think women need to understand that it's okay to not be 100% every day. Uh, it's okay to go take care of yourself and you know sleep in for a couple more hours. And it's okay to eat a big bowl of pasta with butter and <laughs> garlic on it. So I think uh, you know having that self care available to you when you need it is extremely important. And um, you know you, at the end of the day, you have yourself to rely on. And if you're not if you're not happy, if you're not healthy, if you're not, um, if you are, if you're, if you feel a little bit empty inside, you just got to know to take a step back. And uh, for, I believe for a lot of women, that was very difficult. It is very difficult to define and to understand and to accept because we are expected to always be at a hundred percent. We're expected to always have a big smile on our face and we're expected to always win but no, that's not life. And uh, you just need to you know, take better care of yourself and love and appreciate all the little milestones and all the big milestones that you do in life. Um, and, you know, I have, a, I come from a very competitive family. So it's like all about big milestones. 
and I'm teaching them that it's okay, you know, this, you know, doing the, doing the little things is okay as well. It's as important, but um, no, when you need to take care of yourself, you have to, otherwise you can't, uh, you can't, uh, you can't do, you can't do your goals. So you can't finish what you want to finish. And um, if you're not happy, <laughs> the work will show that you're not happy. Okay. Final question. If there are any coaches listening to this that really, you know, want to do what they can to influence positive change for for females around the world playing football, what's the one thing you would say to them? One thing that I've noticed is women tend to, once they get to a certain stage professionally and they have, and they feel like they have, you know, they're, they're very successful, they shut off from the rest of the world. I think that's actually your time to be able to connect more with the world, uh, especially with women who didn't have that access that you know you had uh, to become successful. I think uh, women need to you know support each other a lot more. And um, whether it's a, a coach from the US supporting a coach in uh, Zanzibar, you need to do it. You need to be open to it because it's, at the end of the day, we're all women. At the end of the day, we all are women who love football. And uh, what more beautiful can it be how more beautiful can it be that we are able to support each other but i know a lot of people don't want to have that globalization or have that outlook but i think they should be open to you know joining these um these programs that can you know travel to these you know countries to support the women to you know be with them for at least a week and you know share with them i think sharing knowledge is an extremely important factor and being open to sharing that knowledge is um, even more relevant but maybe it's not for everyone. Honestly, it might not be for everyone, but I think at least what you can do is, uh, you know, have a, a public account on your social media as a coach and like women will definitely come in and, and message you with their issues and hoping that you will help them to solve it. For example, on my Twitter and my Instagram, it's open and I get so many messages and I will make the time to, to meet with them on Zoom, on WhatsApp call or whatnot. And I mean, especially right now with, the fact that um, a lot of the Afghan women's national team have left, uh, they, they, they are in need of access to um, some form of platform, especially on the, the coaching side. So you know, being having that, you know, because you were given the privilege of having all of these tools. A lot of women don't have that privilege. And I think uh, to be open to that and actually, you know, search a little bit, see, see what countries you're interested in to help them develop it. Uh, be open to it and uh, I promise you the world will come back and give you so much more can I do one more question or did I of course (laughs) do you think of yourself as as a role model and is there any pressure that comes with that I've been told that I'm a role model I'm a hero and all of that but I don't I don't look at my I don't look in the mirror and be like you're a role model today Um, I'm just honestly trying to do what's best for the greater amount of people for all the women because I was raised with privilege in the U.S. I didn't have to fight to go play on the field I didn't have to um, fight with so many different ideological you know prohibitions uh, from women playing football but when I came to the Middle East I noticed a whole different world Um, and I was open to it and I was willing to work around it and that was how I was able to be successful in a country like Iran um, but for me, I, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to consider myself a role model. I want to be considered someone dependable. You can depend on me, um, whether it is you need access to something, whether you need 
to find uh, funds to, you know, build your team or to buy a pair of football boots or a ball, anything. I want people to be able to, I want to be dependable. And I want people to, to know that they have um, access to communicating with me uh, with uh, projects that they might have in mind and they need help with. And I'm, I'm definitely there for, for all of that. That was Kat Kosroyar, former Iran under-19s coach and all-round advocate for the global game. Don't forget, the January issue of Women's Soccer Coaching is available now to subscribers. Visit womensoccercoaching.com to subscribe. I'm Steph Fairbairn. Thanks again for listening to the Women's Soccer Coaching Podcast.